Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of What The Bump. Today I have Colin Parsons as our guest on the podcast. Colin is a doula who's very passionate about fertility support, prenatal prep, and supporting women during both unmedicated and medicated birth. Today, Colin is going to share how, as a doula, she's able to support clients that have gotten pregnant through fertility treatments. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Colin. Thank you for having me, love. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, to be here as well. It's actually <laughs> funny. We Colin signed up for my podcast, side note already. Colin signed up for my podcast, and then I walked into work one day, like literally days after she signed up for the podcast, and it's like not even 7am. I'm barely awake. And somebody comes up to me and they're like, Hey, like, can I get some water? I, was, I don't even know what you asked me. I think it was ice. Maybe I don't, it was yeah. something. And, um, I read your name tag and I was like, it said Colin P doula. And I'm like, are you Colin Parsons? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm Jen Baylor. You signed up to be in my pot. It was so like, what a small world. Seriously. So it was, it was, I was like, and she's super cute and like spunky and excited. I was like, thank God, because <laughs> cool. I know people, when people sign up, especially when you sign up for a podcast or they, you know, request to be on your, you don't like know anything about each other. You just, you just go for it every time. So it was cool that we got to actually meet beforehand and we actually got to work together that day, which was also amazing. She's so, a great nurse. She's yeah. It was awesome. You're a great doula too. <laughs> so first off tell, I know I kind of just told a little bit, but tell my listeners who you are and what you do. So my name is Colin Parsons. Um, I was born and raised in Charlotte and I am doing my doula practice here now. I have been dueling so for about 10 years now. I do fertility, birth, postpartum, and everything in between and everything after. It's amazing. I get to see the coolest stuff all the time. However, I also get to see some of the hardest stuff all the time. So I basically, I tell my clients like, never underestimate your badassery which is what I get to see all the time. I get to see people birthing persons be badasses. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? You know, and cute babies. Like it's awesome. Yes. Very cute babies all the time. And like you said, you see good, bad and everything in between. And I definitely can relate to that being in the, I don't know, I guess like the birth worker world. Yeah. (laughs) We, We get to see everything truly. And it, it's, it's a, it's a blessing though. It really is a blessing to be a part of those moments for people. I mean, I always think about it, especially with COVID when I'm in, when I'm laboring a patient and birthing a patient or helping them birth their baby, like their family isn't even allowed in the hospital, you know, their mom, their, the baby's grandparents, siblings, only one support person's allowed in the hospital. Yet I get to be a part of that. And sometimes it almost makes me feel like guilty, but it's very amazing and such a blessing to be a part of that every day. Well, I think we're all, you know, I always say that it's something, birth is not something we suffer. You know, birth is something, my, one of my favorite quotes, quotes is, birth is not something we suffer, birth is something we actively exalt in. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason I love doing medicated and unmedicated, and whether it's home birth, birth center, hospital birth, you know, it's, my job is unbiased, non-judgmental support, full stop, mm-hmm. as a doula. And I'm very, big in that. I'm very big. You know, my tagline for my business is every family, every birth, every time. Um, and like that consistency is super important in our field. And I think we've lost some of that consistency because of COVID, you know, without having family support and community support and things like that. So it's nice that we have nurses and providers that are in the hospital still helping our clients, their patients, you know, be able to facilitate the birth that they want. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I hate not having families in the hospital with COVID. It, it totally stinks. I miss like all the little toddlers and the little kids and watching like a four-year-old meet their baby brother or sister for the first time, like the innocence in a child it is literally the most beautiful thing ever. I, I miss it. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some pros of like visitor restrictions. I can't lie there, but there are many cons of it. And I really do miss that part of the, the family and the community really. Yeah, it's. It's a whole, COVID is a different world. It is, it is. So So, tell me how you became passionate about your line of work. So I was five when my mom got pregnant um, with my younger brother and sister, the twins. So Claire and Cooper are my 
part, they're my babies. So I had told my parents that I wanted a brother or a sister. And so when my mom got pregnant, I genuinely thought they were having them for me. Um, and so <laughs> it was, I was right at the age where I was still home a lot. Like I was in between kindergarten age. And so my mom being high risk in general, because she was of advanced maternal age. So, and she was a twin pregnancy. So she was already marked high risk again. She, and she was known to go into preterm labor. So my mom got put on bed rest when she was four and a half months pregnant with the twins. And I, being the little one that I was, got to tag along to everything. So I went to every doctor's appointment. Uh, we have a picture of me with little headphones on, listening to the twins' heartbeats at one of the appointments. And this was the 90s. So it was the maternity clothes were not cute like they are now. Like my mom, it was so funny. I was telling my dad about this the other day. And I remember saying to her, do we have to eat any more casseroles? Because it was the nineties and that's what everyone brought over, you know? And so it was, it was wonderful, but I, I thought they were my babies. I remember when their umbilical cords fell off, you know, when they lost their stumps, everything. If I was awake, they weren't allowed to change a diaper without me. I mean, I've just been obsessed forever. And then one of my really, really good friends growing up got pregnant when she was 16 um, and her parents were not a fan of that. And they basically kicked her out and didn't interact with her or anything like that. And the guy that she had gotten pregnant with was no longer interested when she was about a week before term. So she didn't have anyone to be at her birth with her. And I got to be there. And it was the coolest, most amazing, just in, I mean, it was, it was, it's like nothing I'd ever seen in the world, you know? And I remember like my mom, she tandem nurse twins. And when she had like her, the OG breast friend, that was like, that had the horrible nineties pattern covers on it. I mean, they were, oh God. And I remember, so I've always been around it. And then to be able to see my best friend as a teenager breastfeed and to navigate what that looked like without support. You know, I was convinced I was gonna be a nurse and I was convinced I was gonna be a midwife and all this. And then I had a conversation with someone and they were like, Colin, what you love is like the mental and emotional support for the birthing person and their family. And that was one of those things I had like a re and plus anatomy and physiology. Whew, one class of that was enough for me. <laughs> but, you know, it was, I realized there's so many people there for the baby. There's, you know, the baby nurse and, it, you know, and it's one of those things where a lot of our hospitals don't have one-on-one -on -one nursing like in the nation. You know, it's a gift when we do, a lot, some of the ones here do, which is amazing, you know, but a lot of hospitals, you don't have that kind of care. And so to be able to be someone that is solid and concrete for the whole process, mm -hmm. whether that's your pregnancy, whether that's your trying to conceive journey through your birth and through your postpartum is a really big deal, you know, and I think that that everywhere else in the world, community support is so important mm -hmm. and having people there to help build you up and lift you up and support you. And, you know, I think that's something that I just really resonated with me seeing all these women when my mom was on bed rest, come and check on her, you know, and then seeing how I got to be someone that supported my friend. And it's just, it's always kind of been part of my life. And then I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome when I was 24. And it was something that was all I ever wanted to be was a mom. That was all I ever wanted to do. I, you know, ever since I was little, it's, and this, this sometimes I get emotional, but it was, I remember when I found out or when I got diagnosed, I was by myself at the doctor and my provider told me, I'll never forget this in a million years. I had a garden that flowers may never bloom in. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a treat. But so that kind of changed things for me. Yeah. Especially like, and I know we'll get into my passion with fertility work and with clients that have undergone fertility treatments and things like that. You know, when you have a vision of how you want your life to be and you realize that that vision may have to change. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal, you know? And so that was what really start like ignited my passion about getting into this side of this work was my own journey. And it was something that 
you know, I remember finding out alone and none of my friends had PCOS. Mm-hmm. It was something that PCOS wasn't as common as, di- as a diagnosis or as something people looked for. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I had super severe, but because I didn't have obvious signs that they see with a lot of PCOS, I was diagnosed fairly late. And it was something that they thought once they looked at my history that I'd actually had for a long time, you know, and people don't realize this, but PCOS and endometriosis and all of these different things, whether it's unexplained fertility or primary or secondary infertility, they also affect your breastfeeding. They also affect your relationships, you know, trying to conceive all this stuff. And it was just, it was a lot um, to take in, but it's given me a very different aspect and view of the work that I get to do and expanding that outside of just birth, you know? That's amazing that, I mean, you have a very powerful story. Thank you for sharing all of that. (laughs) And I mean, truly, like you said, it's part of your passion for fertility treatments is your own diagnosis of PCOS. And that's the best way really to get into any line of work because you can relate to your clients, you know what they're going through and you're a great source of education and resources for them as well. And it sounds like you've been (laughs) literally in the birth world since prior to five years old, which is (laughs) amazing. And I really like how you said, you know, you wanted to be a nurse and a midwife. And then somebody said, you know, you're, you like the relational aspect and you like to be that solid foundation for somebody throughout the whole process that really like resonated with me because even as a labor and delivery nurse, I love my job. I love my patients, but I always tell my husband, the one thing that leaves me very unfulfilled in what I do is the fact that I don't get to be there for everything. You know, I meet these women and I take care of them for 12 hours and I probably never see them again. The chances of me even having a woman back-to-back shifts, um, is is slim because I mainly do, I mainly do labor and delivery. I normally don't do much postpartum and hopefully they've been delivered already by the time I come back from my next shift. But it's true. I meet them when they're in labor and in 12 hours, I never see them again. And that really stinks because sometimes I do develop a great bond with my patients in that short amount of time. And I'm really grateful for social media and all that, because there are many of them that I do still connect with and, you know, keep in touch with, and they send me photos and it's amazing, but I really am like envious of your work as a doula and all doulas, because you guys do, you get to be there from, you know, eight weeks. Some people start looking into it at eight weeks. I did. And you get to be there and watch them birth their baby and you get to be postpartum support for them. And it, that's just such an amazing line of work and a role that you guys get to play. And I like how you said that, that like solid foundation throughout the process, because you really are. Thank you. It's, you know, I, I'm looking at my mantle behind me right now and I have two, I put all my Christmas cards up and like all my baby announcements up just because I'm a sap and sentimental like that. And I actually have a pregnancy announcement, a one-year birthday card and a Christmas card from the following year from one family. And it really is, you know, is a gift. And I, when I started this, I didn't expect you know, if you look at it and people are like, it's your career, it's your job. And I've done tons of training for this because my dual partner, Heidi, she always jokes that like, there's not a training Colin hasn't done or won't do. And I do, I love me some good continuing ed, but it's, you know, there's a real like criteria and professionalism and skill set that you have to develop. But then it's also, this is your heart work, you know, and it's something that really what I love about what I do is, and also having like a background where I've gone to school for mental health, you know, and those sorts of things. I get to really, I have a lot of clients with anxiety. I have a lot of clients that, you know, need a different type of support. And so that's, you know, it's awesome that you're, thank you. It is amazing that I get to do this. It is, it is. (laughs) Okay. So let's jump into our podcast topic. Finally, (laughs) that was great. No, do not be sorry. That was was amazing. So we're talking about fertility treatments and supporting clients who have gone through fertility treatments. So to start off with like the basic, because a lot of people, even honestly, including myself, don't know much about fertility treatments. So tell us a little bit about fertility treatments and what fertility treatments even are. So let's go ahead. If we can, I was going to define, so there's primary infertility and there's secondary infertility. So primary infertility is where if you've had unprotected sex regularly, what they call well-intentioned or well-planned sex, which I'm like, really? That's okay. But so where you do that for over a year and you have the inability to carry a pregnancy to live birth or to get pregnant at all. And then secondary infertility is where you've gotten pregnant before 
carried to term, had a live birth, and then are unable to get pregnant following that. And so those require different treatments. So in this, I wanted to say a disclaimer. This is also a considered like a heteronormative type of fertility description. So as far as insurance goes, um, as far as outside issues, which also, and I think you know this too, but also if anyone checks out like my social media, working with the LGBTQ community is a big deal to me. And there's a lot of people in that community where if they're not in a heteronormative relationship, the additional testing they have to do and treatments they have to do um, and failed treatments they have to receive to be able to get coverage is very different, which is another I have lots of feels about, but you know, we're, we're making progress in the right way. So fertility treatments, there's actually, so it goes from like least invasive to most invasive. Most people associate fertility treatments, which is IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, but that is actually one of the most extreme, most invasive types of treatments. So there's fertility drugs, um, a couple of them, Clomid's one of them, regular ovulation inducing drugs, so progesterone. There's things that you do injections, you can do oral tablets, or you can do vaginal suppositories, um, or there are certain things also your partner or a male can take. So that's one thing. That's just the least, least invasive. Then we get down to IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, which is where sperm is washed, processed, and concentrated. And they take that and directly place it into the uterus when you're in a primary window. That's one of the more invasive, but you're still not having, it's in an in-office visit. You don't have to go over under anesthesia typically. Um, and then we get down to typical, what's called ART or ART which is assisted reproductive technology. And this is where you do see your IVF or IVF with ICSI um, or IVF with egg donation and traditional types of surgery or surrogacy. Um, and in between all that, you know, is diagnostic surgeries that people don't realize happen. Or if you have endometriosis or endometriosis, what that looks like. So it's, it's a process for sure. We have lots of tools that you can use. Most of them are geared towards how to get a woman pregnant and how to keep a woman pregnant. And that's something I think people also don't realize is there's typically two parts to the story, right? And so that's another thing is that there's different, you know, looking at different studies and stuff emotionally, it affects different partners significantly differently. So. And is most of these, like, are most of these fertility treatments done by a typical like OB or do you have to normally go to a actual fertility clinic and like specialist? So typically, good question, typically infertility can be diagnosed by an OB if it's something that you've talked about, something that you've worked on, but then they would refer you to a research endocrinologist or a reproductive endocrinologist, and they're who do all of your treatments traditionally. Um, I know, especially here in Charlotte, we have a couple different reproductive endocrinologists that we have in this area that do from women that are trying to conceive that maybe a same-sex couple, they get to kind of skip the OB process because they have a little bit of a different journey to go through. Right. Um, but traditionally, yeah, you'd see a reproductive endocrinologist. Yeah. And I like how you explained kind of the different types, I guess, of fertility treatments from least invasive <laughs> to most invasive, because I do think people think like, oh, you're going through fertility treatments, you're doing IVF. That's kind of like the general thought, whereas there are some, there are other things, you know, there's different types of IVF, but there's also the IUI and there's also just, you know, the, the medications that you can take to trigger ovulation or help, help ovulation or pregnancy be formed and supported. You, we, you kind of touched on this earlier, but obviously, you know, going through fertility treatments is going to have an impact on your relationships, on your emotions, on your mood. So explain to us, I guess, the impacts of fertility journeys that you see the most on relationships and mental health and kind of how people even ways to get through that and to overcome that. So it's a real, I spoke uh, about a year and a half ago at a trauma conference and it was about fertility and trauma. And it was interesting because it was actually a pregnancy conference, um, but you got to start somewhere, right? And typically that's through your fertility journey. Harvard did a study with I think it was over 15 years of couples and the levels of stress that heteronormative couples going through fertility treatments showed was if it was equivalent to if both partners lost a parent mm. at the same time. I believe that because yeah. I've had friends who've gone through even like not even, not even, didn't even get to like needing fertility treatments, but have just gone through like 
months of trying, like even eight months of trying, let's say, and they got pregnant on their own. They didn't need fertility treatments, but the stress and the, the best way to describe it, I guess, is honestly, like how they explained it is it made sex so unromantic. It made sex such like a chore that they just needed this outcome from sex. And that alone, like was mentally exhausting on their marriage. And I can only imagine, I mean, the stress that, that these people have who actually have to go through full-blown fertility treatments. Well, that's what a lot of people don't think about is that typically this is not a journey that's short, right? Right. So it's not something that people that have diagnosed infertility where they qualify for treatments have been having unprotected planned sex with their spouse or partner for a year or six months if they're 35 or older traditionally. And so that's already a long time. Like they've tried, they've been trying. You know what I mean? And it's already like, one month comes. Are we pregnant? Are we not pregnant? That you know, it's, yeah, it's so that's exhausting. And then, you know, a lot of couples think about kids and they've only been married for how long or they've only been together for how long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have eventually the scales tip to where we've been trying to conceive longer than we were not trying to conceive right. is also hard. You know, it's one of those things where a lot of my clients that have gone through fertility significantly. I remember I was doing a postpartum with a mom and they tried for about three years. Mm. And she said she was three months out postpartum at this point. And she said, I just can't, I just want my body back. And she said, not only do I want my baby to not touch me, I don't want my spouse to touch me. She was like, I've had so much involved with my reproductive organs. She was like that. I don't want, you know, and that's really Sex is something that, you know, and I'm, I didn't grow up in a household where like there was guilt and shame talk around sex. Yeah. It's like sex is when sex becomes a chore, nobody wants to do that. Like if, if chores were fun, we'd be more excited about cleaning our rooms as children, you know? And so when it's something that's supposed to be an act of passion or intimacy or vulnerability, and that gets, that's important in your relationship and that gets taken away, it's a big deal, you know? And as a woman who has polycystic ovarian syndrome, I felt a lot of guilt and shame, like my body was broken mm. um, when I found out. And I have a lot of clients, you know, I joke that I have this friend that could get pregnant walking past Victoria's Secret. Like she, she literally, you know, and, and that's, that's just her story. And she is amazing and she is wonderful. And that is just not my story. And I'm amazing and I'm wonderful, right. you know, but it's one of those things where we're told as women, that are as birthing people or as people that can reproduce that we're supposed to be able to do this naturally, that we're made to be able to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you have difficulties, whether it's having to try longer or whether it's having to have outside help, you know, it's it's really hard. Um, and that's one of those things that it carries over through your whole pregnancy and it carries over through a lot of parts in your life. And it's mostly the biggest thing that I encourage, whether it's couples to do or whether it's a independent birthing person that was trying to get pregnant, is that you find a therapist prior to going through treatments. Um, that's a huge, most reproductive endocrinologist offices, they have support groups, which are huge but any sort of support you can have, which is the biggest thing to help kind of, I say in my doula practice, like I practice proactive care as opposed to reactive care, whether it's infertility or prenatally or pregnancy or postpartum and birth. And so really getting ahead of that, right? it's easy. It's a slippery slope to get into crisis mode in your relationship. You know, and another thing people don't realize is it's not just romantic. If you're going through fertility treatments and your best friend gets pregnant, there's strain on that relationship For because sure. they're, they're excited and they want you to be there and they want you to help light the gender reveal fireworks, you know, and it's like, and you don't want to go because they're not yours or you do want to go and you feel guilty about how you, you know, and so fertility and infertility is really something that touches, it's not just romantic, you know, it's with our friends and our families and our coworkers and it's, I think it's something that people don't realize it has such an impact on all the areas of our life. And so how to really manage that from the beginning and really get ahead of that is a big deal. 
Yeah. And I can only imagine how you said a woman almost feels like your body is broke. You're like, why is my body not working? Because it's true from the start. You're told like, you, you know, a woman's job in this world is to meet a man and to get married and have babies and have many babies. And it, it is a huge pressure. And when that doesn't happen and that doesn't happen naturally, or like somebody might have already made up in their mind, like some people are like, you know, when I hit 32, we'll have a baby. And then 32 hits and they struggle with fertility. And now you're pushed back to 36 and you're still like, it, it, it can, I can only imagine the mental impacts, the mental health impacts that can have. And like you said, not only on a marriage, but on relationships with family and friends, I can even relate when I had a miscarriage, my brother and sister-in-law announced their pregnancy probably about a month after my miscarriage. And I was at work and I got like sent the video and I haven't even told them this, but I don't think they listen to my podcast. <laughs> um, I was oh. pissed. I was pissed. I opened up the video and I was actually sitting next to my midwife at work and the video played and you could like hear it and everything. And I just like put my phone down and she looked at me and she's like, you don't have to be happy for them. Like you don't have to be happy for them right now. And that's okay. Because you're just, you're still in your hurt and your pain. And I can imagine with fertility treatments, the same thing, you know, you get on Instagram and you see pregnancy announcements and your friends are pregnant and you've been trying for so long and maybe they weren't even planning or trying to get pregnant. That can, that has got to be so frustrating. Well, also imagine, imagine all of that on top of let's incorporate hormonal treatments yeah. and let's oh, incorporate, nope. you know, yeah, let's incorporate medical visits and constant blood draws and regular repeat. And a lot of money. And yeah, I was going to say, and the financial aspect of, you know, people don't realize people refinance their houses. People take out loan after loan just to, you know, sperm, some places it's $2,500 per vial, yeah, per vial. And, get, and the thing people realize is, or don't understand is that it doesn't typically happen on the first vial, right? you know, and not to mention, so that's just the stuff. Right. Not to mention having to use the stuff procedure, yeah, and get your body ready to use the stuff, you know. And so it's, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. And I think the really important thing, like if anybody was to hear anything I said or anything you said about this whole topic, is that to really realize that you're not alone, right? And there's a lot of other people that feel this way. There's a lot of support systems out there, and there's, you know, it is something that do not isolate do not isolate in your hurt is the biggest thing I can say is because that's when things start to get really, when your mental health, whether it's your depression or whether things that, you know, carry on into anxiety or even later on increases your chance of having postpartum psychosis. If you do go through a pregnancy and all that, it's all elevated. And a big part of that is we see people isolating. So if you know people that are going through any sort of fertility treatments, a big thing is just bring joy to them they talk about their pregnancy enough they talk about trying to get pregnant enough they have phone calls every week they talk to their spouse about it or their partner about it or their friends about it all the time just take them to get their nails done right and, and just about it. and just not talk about it you know it's i promise you they're thinking about it. I promise you when they're ready, they'll talk about it. You know, but like sometimes we just want to eat frozen yogurt and like every day. Yeah. I know. I'm like all the time, you know, sometimes, sometimes we just want to look at our best friend and be like, did you see those people we went to high school with? And like, what are they doing with their hair? You know, it's, it's something that it is when it becomes the center of your world, sometimes you need to take a break from that. Definitely. So would you say like your biggest bit of advice basically then for somebody going through fertility treatments and the biggest way to, I guess, like minimize the impact on their emotional, mental health, their relationships, everything like that would be to find a community, find a support group, find a therapist. Mm -hmm. okay. Huge. And here's the thing is go talk to your therapist about frozen yogurt, walk in and say, I don't want to talk about fertility today. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about this today, but just having an open dialogue, even if you schedule one appointment with that therapist and you never go back, you have somewhere where you know you can go. And that's what's important is nobody wants to be in crisis and then all of a sudden be trying to find someone that's a good fit for them for help. Right. I totally agree. How do you see fertility treatments affect somebody's pregnancy and birth? I know we kind of 
have touched on that honestly throughout the whole podcast, just the stress emotionally, mentally, physically, the hormones, the cost, everything like that. But how do you specifically see it affecting somebody's pregnancy and birth after the fertility treatment has already been successful? So that's, that's the thing too, is a lot of people, it doesn't stop with once you've, you know, had a sticky baby, which is a lot of times what we call when it's successful. One of my favorite terms is people and typically like the fertility world, we say, send a sticky dust. Um, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, I love that phrase. I just picture like a little fertility fairy going in there, you know, but it's, it's very different. There's so much anxiety about, you know, I'm eight weeks. Is it okay to tell people? Which is what people that, you know, traditionally conceive outside of fertility also experience. So imagine you conceive quote unquote naturally and, you know, unassisted and all the stuff you feel throughout that pregnancy. Now imagine having a foreword written in that book of just stress and financial cost and questioning if you're broken and this page and this page and this page. And so it's almost as if everything is multiplied because you kind of go into it with an already heightened sense of stress. And so one of the biggest things with my clients that undergo fertility treatments is helping them find joy in little things. So that's something that I've noticed is a huge difference in clients that I have as doula clients or people that I know that may not be my clients that versus people that have conceived naturally or unplanned. And it's one of those things where supporting the little victories of when your body does something awesome. Like when you get to, you know, you start to get a stretch mark. That's amazing. But it's like celebrate that stuff. I've you know, never heard somebody like, celebrate stretch marks. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, and I think it's really about like positively reframing things sure. because there's been so much of a negative focus about I'm not good enough or my body's not good enough or am I going to be able to do this? Why is this so hard? You know, um, and so it's one of those things that celebrate the little stuff. I had a client tell me she had heartburn one day and I was like, I want you to do a happy dance. We're going to do the heartburn happy dance, man. And she was like, what? And I was like, this is amazing. And she didn't know why I was doing all these things. You know, she didn't know that it's because I wanted her to realize her body was doing exactly what it was supposed to be doing mm -hmm. on its own, you know? And so this crosses over even as like a doula into the birth space. So you have to realize that people making things lovey-dovey and comfy, cozy and sweet, whether it's prenatally, whether it's during the birthing process or in the postpartum, you know, this is, Fertility treatments are a very sterile, medicalized thing traditionally. And so a lot of people, when they are, if they're giving birth at a hospital, it's typically the lights are bright. You know, the walls are not painted like your living room is. There's it, a lot of it reminds you of the very medicalized thing that this has been. And to be honest, like nobody likes going to get their tonsils checked. Nobody likes getting a flu, you know, like swab done. I mean, I, I'm a doula and I don't like going and hanging out at the gynecologist office. You know, typically like medicalized sterile environments are not what we live for as human beings, you know? And so doing things like really engaging with your clients about things that make them feel comfortable and making them feel safe and making them feel like it's personalized to them is also really important. Yeah. And I like how, I really like how you said like celebrating those victories, those small things that like a normal person is like, Oh, like a stretch mark. Oh, I'm nauseous. Oh, I have heartburn. Oh, my feet yeah. are swollen. It's like, no, those are amazing. And I tell friends and family members who I have who are pregnant that too, especially in the beginning. Also, like you said, you know, a normal woman, even at eight weeks pregnant, seven weeks pregnant, six weeks pregnant, 10 weeks pregnant, you're, you have anxiety. Like, I don't care if you've never struggled with fertility or never struggled with miscarriage. Everybody is anxious while they are pregnant. And if you are not, I'm insanely jealous of your innocence that you can have surrounding pregnancy. But most of us, especially us who work in the birth world and know a little bit too much for our own good, <laughs> pregnancy is is a, is a very 
anxiety ridden time because anything can happen. You can do everything perfect and you can still miscarry. You can do everything perfect and you can still not get pregnant with fertility treatments. And I can just imagine somebody who's undergone so much with fertility treatments, getting pregnant and the anxiety that can ride through, especially those first 12 weeks, because you've done so much. You finally have a sticky baby and you're just praying that it stays that way. And that has to be so hard. And that's where celebrating those little victories can be so amazing when a client's like, yeah, you know, I'm just really nauseous today. It's like, those are amazing things that shows that your body is growing a human. And yeah, I'm like, my boobs hurt. That's perfect. Good. My clients, my clients always laugh at me. They're like, you are so weird. The things you get excited about. Cause I'll have clients that'll call me early on. Um, and they'll say, you know, I threw up today. And I'm like, good. Let's do it again tomorrow. And they're like, what is wrong with it's you? True. And I'm like, this, you know, this is part of the process. And you've worked so hard that like, let's, and there's been so much, you know, that has affected you in a way that was not pleasant. But like, let's paradigm shift it. You paint your pants. Awesome. Yeah. Like, good. The grocery store will never be the same again. You know, <laughs> like, it's just, I think it's really important that people remember that there's still magical moments yeah. and there's still wonderful moments. And like, your body is doing what it's supposed to do. And I think there's a lot of like reprogramming that needs to happen because after you've been told or told yourself that your body's broken, right? Being excited about swapping that out for excitement about that you're not broken anymore yeah or that you know changing that is sometimes hard right so specifically as a doula how do you help alleviate the stress and the anxiety that these women are going through or these couples in general are going through so listening is huge Mm -hmm. listening answering the phone this is something that is huge building that relationship, which granted, I, I personally feel the doula should do with every client. Um, but there are some, I have some clients that be like, ah, I'll text you later. I have some clients that call me every day, you know, and it's one of those things that really, when you're taking on clients, which I think is super important, you know, really assess, ask them what their story is. Don't assume that they got pregnant on the first try. You know, and really, if you have clients that have gone through fertility treatments, ask other doulas, you know, have you worked with clients that have undergone medication or extensive family planning or IVF, you know, because as doulas, we want to serve our clients the best we can, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where asking other people in our field that have worked with that, sometimes that's the best way to serve our clients. But answering the phone, even if you know, it's easy to get jaded in our field. And, you know, when a woman may have an anterior placenta and she doesn't feel her baby's movements kick as much, you know, it's easy for us after a while of being in this field to kind of like in our mind be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it, but guess what? This is a big deal to them, you know, and I think really just keeping that in the forefront of your mind of like every moment, whether this is their first pregnancy or their fifth pregnancy, it's always a new experience. And so every moment is new to them. And I think really just validating that, you know, and not letting, sometimes it's easy to talk with our brain and not our heart when we've done all the trainings and we've learned all this stuff and we've got some experience under our belt. But, you know, I think a lot of times if you look at it, just talk from your heart, Mm -hmm. you know, and be, be a doula. There's a reason you're doing this, you know, and it's one of those things where also get to know the partners if they're involved, because I promise you, I've, I've been doing this a long time and I've never, ever had a client or couple not value when you include their partner. Oh, huge. I agree. (laughs) And so also, you know, because this is something that, like we talked about in the beginning of this, they've gone under a tremendous amount of stress as a couple, you know, in interpersonal relationships with their family, with their friends. And so really remembering that, you know, they went through this together and that 
this is their experience and this is their joy um, and how to help facilitate that for them, I think can make a huge difference for couples in postpartum. You know, they, there's studies that show that couples that end up doing fertility treatments and not having a baby after those treatments are almost sevenfold more likely to get divorced or to end up ending their relationship. And so our job as doulas is not done just because someone's pregnant, you know, it's one of those things that how do we set our clients up for success? Yeah. And part of that is by listening, is by validating, is by talking from our heart, and is by including their partner or their family when applicable. Yeah, I think it can be so easy to talk from your brain, especially when a lot of a lot of it is, you know, I don't want to say it's like medical, but it it's related to medical things, you know, pregnancy and fertility treatments and things like that. And it is really easy to almost more so like give advice, especially like educational medical advice from your brain, from your wealth of knowledge and education that you want to give them, but they don't need that. And that's honestly a huge thing in everyday life that like I struggle with is one of my friends will come to me, something totally unrelated to like pregnancy and birth, but they'll just want me to listen and speak from my heart and ask how they're doing. And my first response is to tell them how to fix their issue. And like, it, it, it is such a better place to come from when you speak from your heart and just listen to somebody and engage with them. And especially with their partner. Also as a nurse, that's something that I'm not the best at because my patient is the mom. My patient is not the dad. I'm trained. I have been wired this way to, I chart on the mom. I look at the mom. I talk to the mom. Truly. I am definitely not the greatest. And I like that you said that because it definitely is like going to be a challenge for me in my own practice to include, include the significant other and the partner, because it's really easy not to do when, when the patient is who I'm focused on during throughout labor and birth. And that's really the only time I get to see my patients. So I can just, I know I can, I mean, just thinking about myself and when I'm in labor, how much more it would mean to me if my doula and my nurse and my doctor and my midwife look at my husband and include him as 50% of the picture, you know, and I, definitely I think it's that really, that's lacked. it's just the little things, you know, yeah, I always, they, they're tell huge. My, yeah. And that's, and that's what it is. It's even if we view the first stretch mark as a little thing, right? Even if we, even if we view just telling the partner, Hey, come over here while we have this conversation as a little thing. Sometimes in life, the smallest things, it's not like a Hallmark card, like the smallest things make the biggest difference. But it, that, that, that's, that's a great example. It's true. You know, and I think I always tell clients or when I'm doing consults or interviews or things, you know, my clients are the MVP, right? They're the star player on the team. But if they have a spouse or a partner, they're the other star player on the team. They may not be the MVP. They're definitely not the MVP, but you know, they're still a star player. And my job is just to facilitate the plays. And it's like, how do I help them win the game in a way that they can walk away from and be proud of the way they played, be proud of the way they work together and be proud of the outcome. You know, because even if someone doesn't win a game, right, it's our life is filled with victories and losses, Mm -hmm. but it's about what we do after that, you know, and I think that's what's really important in all of our work is that setting clients or patients up for success and also helping them, especially as doulas, you know, how we talked about being there the whole way is I have a real qualm with certain, you know, practices in the doula world where people are like, okay, I did your birth. Bye. You know? And so I think it's really important whether you write a postpartum plan of these are your resources or whether you do a postpartum visit, you know, things like that. I'm really just touching base with everyone, you know, trust me, I refuse to lose weight because babies fall asleep on me. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But you know, like cuddling a little baby that is cute and smells delicious is amazing. So you know, <laughs> but but sometimes, you know, it's we gotta get in the get in the heads of the parents. And granted, having my background where I do like mental health and emotional health is really important. I have a different view of it. And so that's the other thing is I encourage other doulas and other birth people is, you know, as I said in the beginning, I love a good training. But like do do some research learn the statistics. And I think it'll help you speak from your heart and less from your brain. 
Right. You know, that doesn't mean that you don't, it doesn't mean I don't know what an anterior placenta pregnancy looks like, you know, but I know that my client that had been going through fertility treatments with her spouse for four years and also had an anterior placenta needed me to tell her, go drink a can of Sprite and lay down and feel your baby dance around right. and, and talk to her and say, what are you doing in there? Crazy. You know, what are you listening? What music are you listening to in there? You know, it's, it's important to remember that like, sometimes we live in a world today where everything is so serious. Yeah. It's like, I had clients tell me that they hired me because I told them that birth can be magical. And I do think that sometimes fertility treatments and sometimes miscarriages and sometimes, you know, life really takes away a lot of the magic we have. And, you know, I think the best thing we can do as doulas is remind our clients that no matter what it looks like, there's still magic left. Right. I love all that. <laughs> that was great. Definitely Hallmark card. A lot of that. That was, that was amazing, <laughs> but it's all, I mean, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. It's all very true. And it, a lot of it's about perspective and, you know, changing people's perspective around birth and fertility treatments and even miscarriage. There's as much as, you know, you don't want to admit it in the moment of it. I've been through a miscarriage and can, I can tell you right now, I managed to find a lot of light in it. And it didn't, it took me a while. It was not easy. The light's not always there, but if you change your mindset and your perspective, now I get to walk other friends and other women in my life through that because I've been there and I can tell them, you know, I can just relate to them and I can sit and listen. And it's different when somebody knows what you're feeling. So it's just in every situation, it's about perspective. And I don't know, it's just having a positive perspective and outlook can change so much. It's all those little things that can change so much. So do you have any tips for other doulas, even nurses or friends or family of somebody who is going through fertility journeys on ways to support them? So the biggest thing is just ask how they're feeling, mm-hmm. right? But also ask about other stuff in their life. Yes. So that's the thing I think that's really important is everything has been hyper-focused on baby, 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 pregnancy, 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 pregnancy. So Sometimes my clients that have undergone that stuff, I just call them and I'm like, yo, how was your day? (laughs) Okay. Bye. Yeah. Like, and I think, I think that's one of the biggest things is that as doulas, our job is to see our clients in the whole picture. You know, we see our clients for more than just their uterus or what's inside it. Right. Right. And so get to know your clients, get to know what your favorite color is, what music you like, what things, you know, because sometimes as a doula, while our job is primarily pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, you know, and everything in between and before and after, sometimes we just got to get to know our clients as people, mm-hmm. you know, and I think asking for help, getting to like, please, please, please on your resource lists, don't just have it pertain to pregnant people, <laughs> have it pertain to whether it's perinatal professionals that specialize in mood disorders or reproductive, you know, issues or journeys, please, please, please also educate yourself just in general on the terminology. You know, if you go to resolve.org, which is the um, National Infertility Awareness uh, website, they have a whole section on acronyms a whole section. I was like, geez, I wish I could use this for, you know, stuff on the internet. Like that would be, but you know, just stuff that trendy, cool kids are using that I don't even know anymore, (laughs) but it's just education and educate yourself because you deserve it. And because your clients deserve it. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think also pause, pause before you assume that someone got pregnant in a traditional unplanned way. Yep. You know, that's a big thing is I think it's easy to think that we all got pregnant and however, you know, biologically it says we're supposed to do, but realistically that's not the case, you know? And I think it's really important just to make those also clients feel loved, but not feel different because they're just as badass and they're just as deserving to be a parent as anyone else, you know, 
one of my favorite things to tell my clients, which I encourage other doulas to say to clients that have been through fertility treatments, and it's about that positive perspective, right? Is your baby, and caveat, I'm not saying any other babies don't feel like this, okay? But specifically in this situation, I tell them like, your baby will know just how badly they were always wanted. Oh. You know, and I cry like every time because I try to tell them, like, think about the love that you have poured into your family before they're even here. Yeah, the sacrifice. Yeah. Like that is literally, they are badass parents and amazing parents sometimes before they've even conceived. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes we think we're only parents because we're pregnant or we conceive naturally. I mean, tell that to parents that have adopted, right? Tell that to parents that have gone through fertility treatments, you know, like they are parents because they showed up and wanted to be parents so bad. And I think, you know, just reminding people that their story may be different, but it doesn't mean it's any less. It doesn't mean it's necessarily better, you know, but it's different and that's okay. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. (laughs) I have loved, I have loved having you on the podcast. Honestly, you're like the perfect blend of the brain, the education that you provided us with, and then so much also from the heart. And really it's just been such a blessing to me. You've taught me a ton and honestly challenged my perspective and the way I go about many things. So I, I really, really appreciate your time call. And this has been amazing. Well, thank you. I am grateful to know you. (laughs) I'm so excited for you. And just, it's a blessing to have people like you to work alongside. They're not only always willing to grow, but you know, that are, that understand the importance of all of our roles, you know? And so like lifting that up is really means a lot to us. So thank you. Of course. I, Hey, I'm like, I love, I love doulas as a nurse. I don't (laughs) understand. I know that there can be like some rough patches with, you know, nurses and doulas at times and roles and everything like that. But let me tell you what, having another person there to help me care for my patient. I do not understand how you could ever be against that. I (laughs) am so appreciative. And I mean, even like with the, the patient and client that we had the other day, I mean, when it came to like spinning babies and stuff, you were like the go-to because I won't lie. I've not taken spinning babies yet. And Colin, like she said, she's all about that continuing ed. (laughs) So yes, I loved working with you. I've loved having you on the podcast. You've been such a blessing. So tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you, Instagram, Facebook, website, anything like that. And I'll make sure also to link where to find Colin in the show notes of this podcast, as well as any sources, Colin, that you have that you want me to link that we've kind of talked about, or even resource for people undergoing fertility treatments. We will also link all of that in the show notes. Yeah. So my business is called Doula Differently. And my website is just that www.doulaDifferently.com. And you can also find me as Doula Differently on Instagram, as well on Facebook. And honestly, anyone, I don't, my email's on my website, but it's Doula, D-O-U-L-A dot Colin, my first name, which is C-O-L-L-I-N at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for just sharing all about fertility treatments and how to support people who are undergoing fertility treatments with us. Thank you. Sorry for getting all weepy. I appreciate it though. No, I loved it. (laughs) Emotion is like the best. Are you kidding me? (laughs) It's all the pregnant people. I swear. It's like a sympathy. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, thank you, babe. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure you follow us over on Instagram at What the Bump Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and make sure you tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. There is a new episode. I really appreciate you for listening. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and I hope you have a great day.